Well, first of all, I want to say thank to, to Pastor Matt for giving me this honor and privilege of being able to be with you this weekend and, and share God's Word. But before that, I did that, I want to just give you a little snippet of, uh, you know, this is a new chapter in our life, new people looking for new friends and so just a little snippet of, of who we are and who I am. Some of you have gotten to know Deanna a little bit. But I always think it's interesting what you can learn about someone from their T-shirts, right, from what they wear. So I'm going to show a few T-shirts, some of my favorite T-shirts, and uh, you can see what, what, what you can learn about me. Some of you already know this, but yeah, yeah. This is the only drink there is in the world, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew. So that's my, that's my favorite drink. Any other Mountain Dew? Okay, a couple friends I'm looking for. All right. I see that hand really high back there. That's great. All right, next one. Here we go. Can you see that back in the back there? It's a motorcycle. Life is good. Motorcycle. So I've been riding my motorcycle since a teenager, and I'm really excited to be here in Dubuku, you know, because I've heard that there's awesome motorcycle routes. So who's, who's okay? We got friends. Friends, okay, we're looking for friends here. All right, so you got to take me on some, some routes. All right, you got to show me where to go. So here's my favorite. Sh- oh, wait, I already, I already showed you that. So can you see that one? Yeah. In case of accident, my blood type is, is Mountain Dew. It's Mountain Dew, yeah. You got that one already. So, okay, uh, you may see me around with this one. This is getting a little raggedy because I've worn it so much. But some of you remember the old commercial? You know, the guy's walking down the street with a, Reese, a Hershey bar, and the other person's walking down the street with a jar of peanut butter. Who really does that? I don't know. But, I mean, that's one of the most beautiful times in all of history, when they ran into each other and created Reese's. This is not just me. This is my wife. We are both very strong Reese's fans. So if you want to show love to her, bring her Reese's in her office. Yeah. Here's my next uh, shirt. Okay, before you judge, I mean, you just need to know it's biblical. The dew from heaven. I mean, what? That was not, that's, that's biblical. Look it up. It's biblical. The dew from heaven. All right, uh, my next one. Oh, I forgot one. All right, can you see that? Maybe you can see just the tennis rackets. Love playing tennis. Played tennis in high school, college, and even more importantly, all four of my kids played tennis in high school, and so we got to spend a lot of great time on the court, uh, playing together, learning, coaching. Uh, our two oldest sons played doubles together in high school on the, on the varsity level. You know what that means? Double the joy or <laughs> double the anguish. Oh man, I had some walks there when they were playing, but so we love playing tennis and uh, playing tennis together. So a couple more, a couple more. All right. This one kind of, you remember the weebles? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. I did a sermon on once weeble warriors wobble, but they don't fall down. And uh, someone gave me this shirt. They found it afterwards, but uh, it really represents games. Our family loves games. We love playing card games, board games, word games. So if you want to invite us over, play some games. If you're game people, that would be awesome. So, next one here. Oh, this is one of my favorite. My, one of my sons just gave me this. Can you, can you read it? I turn wood into things. What's your superpower? Yeah, I, lo- I love doing that. And so, in God's creative sense of humor, you know, I always wanted to build a house. But when do you have time to build a house? I mean, full-time ministry, and you can't do that. But he brought us here, and... Uh, Jeff Peterson, Jeff and Sherry Peterson, some of you still maybe remember that name. He was my high school friend, 
and my college roommate. And so I told him we're coming to Hope because they used to come here and uh, said I'd love to build a house. And he put us in touch with Chuck and Jennifer Johnson, who built a house, and who put us in, in touch with a builder who is going to build our house, but he's going to let me build it with him. I mean, is that awesome? That is so awesome. All right, so we're excited about that. Oh, here. Okay. There's another one. Okay, for those of you who are really healthy, I mean, I do like water. I mean, I do drink water often. It's the number one ingredient in Mountain Dew. Okay? All right, we're, we're getting near the end. Two more. So you may think what it was so significant about tie-dye shirts. Well, they're matching. This is Deanna's and this is mine. So we've been married 32 years, and we've been doing ministry together all along that route. And she's been an amazing ministry partner, life partner. And uh, even in college, when I started doing ministry, she joined me, and we've been doing it ever since. And I told people from our church years ago that when I leave, you're not going to miss me, but you're going to miss her. And, And it's true. It's true. I would often joke with her and say, you know what? God told me someone's got to love you. It might as well be me. But if you've had a chance to meet her and meet me, you know I married up. <laughs> Serious. I mean, a couple rungs, and her parents are here, and they would testify to that. They would, they would say, yes, sir. Oh, my last one, last one. We won't, we'll forget the rest of the Mountain Dew ones. But the last one here, my favorite shirt. Grace wins every time. I was a junior in high school, searching for the meaning of life. What is life all about? Making some bad choices. My family was disintegrating, and God's grace grabbed a hold of me. And uh, it's been a privilege to serve him um, ever since. And be able to talk and share with you tonight about him from uh, the Gospel of Mark, which uh, Pastor Matt has been taking you a journey through. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, if you could turn there, or your Pew pew Bibles, page 818, in your Pew Bibles there, and uh, let me read along, and we will jump into this passage together. Beginning with Mark 6.45, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because all, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gesenaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. 
Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege you give us this, this, this weekend to just dive into your word. Lord, your precious gift to us so that we can know Christ, so that we can know your great love for us and all that you have done for us in Christ and that your grace wins in our life if we reach out to you just like these people did in faith. And so, Lord, reveal yourself to us just a little bit more as we look into this passage together. In Jesus' name, amen. What kind of Messiah do you want? As we look at this passage, really it kind of gets starting to get to the heart of that. What kind of Messiah did they want? What kind of Messiah do you want? I mean, some people want a, a Santa Messiah. You know, I'll try to be a good boy, a good girl, and, and you give me the things that are on my list. Or maybe the MD Messiah, the one who heals and fixes all our ailments and diseases and illnesses and makes us feel better. Or about the genie Messiah, you know, you rub the lamp and you get those three wishes. What would you wish for? If you want to know what kind of Messiah you want, maybe one way to evaluate that is to look at what you pray for. What do you ask for? From Jesus. The summary of the message, you can just maybe hear this and leave if you want, but here's the main point that I have for you tonight is Jesus is not the kind of Messiah we initially want, but he is so much more. And because of that, he is not only worthy of our faith, he is worthy of the supremacy in our life. The first half of this passage really highlights that, that first clause that Jesus is not the, the Messiah we initially want. In John's account of, of this event, John even says that, that the crowd was ready to make Jesus king. I mean, they wanted the king Messiah, and they were ready to do that. John really, or Mark doesn't really highlight that, but, but there's a couple of clues that, that he shows us, details that, that they were thinking the same thing. And the first is that Jesus immediately got his disciples into the boat. I mean, it, it was like, he couldn't get in, them in quick enough. And there's, there's a flavor here of, of urgency and, and compelling that he compelled them into the boat. I mean, I'm sure they didn't want to leave. I mean, how exciting was that to see that miracle of what Jesus had did and, and to hear the people talking, maybe this is the one. But Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew that they were looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. And so he gets his disciples, who could have put fuel to the flame here, to not only protect them, but to, to get them away from the crowd and to get the crowd away from them, because they had seen even so many more amazing things. One writer says, the abruptness with which Jesus constrained the disciples to return to their boat and directed them away suggests a crisis, a tension of messianic excitement was dangerously in the air. Because they were looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. And if there was one group of people that Jesus really needed to, to, to grasp what kind of Messiah he was, it was disciples. Because <laughs> one day their world would be rocked when they saw Jesus hanging on the cross. Because he was the Messiah who came to serve. And they were going to follow in his footsteps, giving up everything. 
So we see the desires of the people. They wanted a political Messiah, a king Messiah, a warrior Messiah who would set them free from the Romans and who would make their life more comfortable, more easy, more prosperous. Kind of sounds like a Messiah we wouldn't mind, right? So the Jews were asking, is this the one? So Jesus got them away. We also see this by the prayer of Jesus. The second thing that, that Mark records that Jesus does, is he goes off and he prays. And we might think, well, what's the big deal about that? I mean, Jesus, I'm sure, often prayed. But if you look in the gospel of Mark, there's only three times that Jesus goes off into the mountain and prays. And they're after very significant or right before very significant times. One of them was after a day of a busy day of serving Capernaum where the popularity of Jesus was just growing and growing and growing. The second time is this passage here where again Jesus' popularity is soaring. The third is briefly before Jesus will be arrested when he prays in the garden of Gethsemane. And I think all three of those really tie back to the temptation that Jesus received from Satan. Where his temptation rears its ugly head again about what kind of Messiah he would be. So this question is really not just only for us, but it was for Jesus in the temptation. What kind of Messiah? Because Satan promised Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Just worship him. That's all. And he can have the kingdoms of the world with no suffering, no rejection, no death, no cross. If Jesus would just use his power like he was doing and ride the wave. But each time Jesus prays and reconnects with his father and chooses to be obedient, to be the Messiah who would come to serve. We also see this in the struggling of the disciples. Well, while Jesus was praying up on the mountain, it says the disciples were in the boat that Jesus had sent them. But while they were there, this, this huge wind just starts pelting them. A huge headwind, which wasn't uncommon then. And it says the disciples were straining at the oars. I mean, these guys are seasoned fishermen. And this was, you know, I mean, they were used to being on the boat, but this, this was a little much for them. Actually, one of the the translations called it the word tormenting. That this wind was just tormenting them, throwing them off course. It says that Jesus saw that they were struggling. Some people see that as a miracle in itself. It doesn't necessarily have to be that the lake was only four miles wide. And, and if it was, a, a, you know, during the Passover, a, a moonlit night, you know, it, it only says it was windy. It didn't say it was raining and pouring and storming, but it was windy. And he could have seen them kind of being drifted and not making any progress as they were heading across. But do you notice what Jesus does? Or, or maybe, should I say, what he doesn't do? He sees them struggling. He's the one who put him in the boat out there. So what does he do? Nothing. He does nothing. For a while. Nothing. I mean, he lets them struggle for a while. Because there is something so much more important than their comfort, 
and their ease, their happiness? Could it be that Jesus sent them out there for a reason? Jesus always has a reason. See, their hearts were hard. They hadn't yet quite grasped who he was. All that they had seen, they just still hadn't grasped it. So Mark says their, you know, their hearts were hard. I mean, that doesn't mean that they were awful, terrible you know, people. I mean, they were just struggling with what kind of Messiah is this? And they hadn't grasped it yet. And that's the amazing beauty of this passage that Jesus again wants to reveal himself to them a little bit more so they can grasp who he is. And that's the beauty of the second half of the passage. Jesus is not the, the Messiah that we initially want, but he is so much more. And how do we see that? Well, Mark finally records for us at the fourth watch of the night, which had been somewhere between three and six in the morning. So the disciples are out there for a while, struggling. That Jesus now goes to them. Some of your translations, and even the NIV, uh, says, it gives the impression that Jesus intended to pass them by. Now, for us, that means that maybe Jesus was kind of like sneaking out on the water, you know, maybe hoping that, 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 that they didn't see him. But that's not what it means at all. As a matter of fact, that, that's a crucial phrase to pass by. You remember in the Old Testament when Moses asked God to see him? He wants to see God face to face, and God says, no, you can't do that. But, but I will pass by you. I will speak my name to you, and I will cover you until I pass by, and then I will allow you to see my glory, kind of my, you know, the back of me. That's the same word, to pass by with the intent of revealing himself to Moses. And Jesus does the same thing. He passes by with the significant intent of revealing more of who he is to the disciples. The same word is used with God and Elijah on Mount Horeb. God says, I will pass by you. That doesn't mean he's going to sneak by, but with the intent of encouraging Elijah and showing more of himself. And then we have the passage from Job 9.8. When Job is speaking of the glory and the majesty of God, he says, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the water. He alone. He goes on to say, when he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive or recognize him, which is kind of prophetic here, even over the disciples. When Jesus is revealing himself to them, they didn't recognize him. They didn't catch it. But not only that, Jesus goes on to speak his name. He says, take courage, it is I. And, you know, some people may think, well, Jesus was just saying, hey, dudes, it's me. What are, you, what are you all scared about? But there's more than that's going on here. Some of you may know the phrase, ego a me. It is, it is what God speaks to Moses when he reveals himself. It is Yahweh, the one creator of the world. And Jesus used those like he does often in John, the great I am statements. Jesus uses that same phrase here, I am. Especially connected with him walking on the water and now speaking the name of God. It's the name that Jesus spoke that got him in trouble. 
That's why the Jews wanted to stone him, because he was using the name of God. And, and you didn't even speak this name. It was so revered and honored. And Jesus uses it because he is so much more. So much more. Not only that, but Jesus then goes on to display his compassion. Disciples like us are so slow to catch on sometimes, and initially they are just scared out of their robes. I mean, they, they misperceive that this is a ghost, a spirit. I mean, here they are in one of the most comfortable places they probably know in a boat, and yet they see something that rocks the world, <laughs> terrifies them. But you notice here, Mark says, immediately, immediately, as Jesus recognized they were terrified, he goes to them and says, take courage. It is I. Jesus does not want them to be ruled by fear or things that are not true. Because you know what? He knows what that does to our lives when we are ruled by fear and things that aren't true. He is the truth and the life and wants us to live by him. He is so much more. And then he demonstrates his power over creation. He gets in the boat and immediately the wind dies down. You know, you remember the previous time where the, the waves and the winds were going and he was sleeping? Jesus actually spoke and calmed the storm well, this time, he doesn't even speak. He just gets in the boat. His very presence as the Lord of all calms the wind. <laughs> but it doesn't calm their hearts. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are pounding. Mark says that they are completely amazed. You know, that's kind of where it begins. When we've finally start catching it, who Jesus is, when we are completely amazed at who he is and what he has done for us. Not just amazed that he had done miracles, not just amazed that he brought someone back from the dead, not just amazed that he could multiply food not just the maze that he could calm a storm. But as Paul writes in Philippians, Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, which is what Satan tempted him to do. But rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on the cross. And we know that's where Jesus defeated our greatest enemies. The Romans, they weren't the greatest enemies. But he defeated sin for us. He defeated death for us. He took on God's wrath that I should have deserved for us. Jesus is so much more. So what do we take away from this passage? Well, first of all, we each need to wrestle with what kind of Messiah do you want? What kind of Messiah are you looking for? 
this Messiah knows what you're going through. Sometimes you may feel like you're in the boat alone and you're struggling and you wonder, God, do you even know what's going on in my life? When my family started to disintegrate the first time when I was in middle school, I remember walking to the school and, and the, the bus gate was open and I went and found an empty bus and I just sat there. And I felt very, very alone. Dad was leaving. Just the family was just, just in chaos. But you know what? I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. Jesus was watching them and Jesus knows what's going on in your life. It's the kind of Messiah we have. And he loves you. He cares about you. He cares about everything in your life, but you know what he cares most about? Your heart and your faith. This Messiah allows us to go through storms sometimes to soften our heart like he did the disciples because he wants to reveal himself more to you if you're willing to hear and to listen and to see. I mean, sometimes the storms that we go through in our life are because of our fault, right? I mean, we make some pretty poor choices. Sometimes it's just because, you know what? Life stinks and there's, we live in a broken world and, and bad things happen to everybody. Sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm. Because in every one of those occasions, even in failure, even in your failure, Jesus wants to meet you there. He wants to reveal himself more to you there as the one who loves you despite your failures, despite what you've done. He wants to draw you to himself as your Messiah. He wants to develop a strong and resilient faith just like he did in the disciples' lives. And sometimes that happens through storms. I mean, maybe it's not our favorite verse from James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, that you might be strong and resilient. Our family went through a pretty big storm when our daughter, our fourth child, when she was eight, was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma cancer. It was stage four, and she had a 20% chance of survival. When we were going through that journey of discovering that, I was preaching a series through the character of God. The character of God. Would this cause us to doubt God's character? His love for us? Would it change anything of what Jesus did for us on the cross and who he was? Was God still worthy of our faith? our love, our allegiance, our lives. Would this change anything? Jesus revealed himself more to us, through us, to us all, all of us, through that very difficult journey. He revealed himself. He always wants to reveal himself more and more to you. He wants you to know him. And he brought us and he brought her through it. This Messiah came to serve you. 
You know, even without the aid of social media, Jesus, the news spread like wildfire. And so as he traveled, more and more people would hear about him and they would bring all their sick relatives so that if, if they would just touch his clothes, they would be healed. Kind of like we saw a couple weeks ago that Pastor Matt preached. But I love how this chapter ends. All who touched him were healed. It's a beautiful picture. You know, not everybody is healed physically by Jesus. But you know what? The greatest miracle that Jesus did, the greatest thing he has to offer you and offer me, the gift of forgiveness, the miracle of being reconciled back to the Father, even though we were enemies worthy of his wrath, that we could become his children. I mean, the miracle of of being filled with his spirit and guided by his spirit in his presence. All those miracles are for you. They are for you. Maybe you felt left out. Maybe you didn't get picked for the team. Maybe you didn't get the job. Maybe you didn't get invited to the party. Maybe you kind of feel like all the good things in life are everybody else. Well, I'm here to tell you that the greatest thing is for you. What Jesus did. Paul writes in Romans 10, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who reaches out, will be saved and experience his gift of life. This Messiah, lastly, is worthy of your faith. But not only that, he is worthy to be supreme. The supremacy of your life. That means he is first in your life. In that passage in Philippians, Paul goes on to say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. That includes you. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I love what Paul writes in Colossians 1. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created Things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that, here's the phrase I want you to catch, in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in your life, he might have the supremacy because he is worthy of it. Supreme in your life when you're here at church, supreme in your life when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're hanging out with your group of friends, when you're on your sports team, supreme in your relationships, supreme with your money, supreme with your your commitments and your priorities, that he is the one worthy to be center. How do we make that happen? 
well, certainly joining a, a weekend service where you come together and, and hopefully our hearts are cultivated to worship him. Even the words we are singing tonight, God, come and, and, and just show yourself to me. And you come with an open, soft heart, <laughs> kind of like, not like the disciples, but you're willing that Jesus will just show you the kind of Messiah that he is. Willing to look into God's word. And also a commitment to a weekly fellowship here called, called life groups. Now, I can't tell you how much small groups have meant in my life to cultivate it. What does it mean to make Jesus supreme in your life, in your marriage, as a parent, as a father? You know, to, to be with other believers who are, who are passionately pursuing Christ and to see what that looks like and to be encouraged by them and challenged by them on a weekly basis. Man, how my heart has needed that. And maybe yours does too. Maybe you haven't been. Unfortunately for you, the next couple weeks, there's going to be sign-ups for life groups. And maybe this is a time, one way that you can make Christ more supreme in your life is to join a group of believers and to experience together what that means. Jesus is not the Messiah that we initially want, but he is so much more. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing passage that Mark has recorded for us that shows Jesus revealing himself more and more to these men who, who uh, boy, just had a tough time grasping. But Lord, we are so encouraged that, that he took these men who sometimes were very slow learners, but in the end has changed the world. That he used them greatly. That they learned that he is worthy of their faith and worthy to be supreme as they were willing to give up their lives to join in this mission, to help others to know who Jesus was. And Lord, we thank you for this passage that shows us even in the midst of the storms, sometimes because of the storm, Lord, that we can learn more about who you are. And, and Lord, I just pray for those who are going through a storm right now, Lord, that you would protect their heart from listening to other lies. And Lord, reveal yourself more and more to them. Lord, that you would soften their hearts if they need to be softened, that you would strengthen their faith if it needs to be strengthened. We thank you that you are the kind of Messiah who does that. And, if, and Lord, if someone's in the midst of a storm because of a failure and they think you've given up on them, Lord, they might be reminded that you are a God of compassion and forgiveness and grace. And grace can win in their life. Lord, you are worthy of our faith and to be supreme. And so we give you praise in Jesus' name.